Hello, and welcome to this live recording from Mount Pleasant Baptist Church. This message was given by Nick Scott at our Burragoon campus. So sit back, listen in, and enjoy what God's got to say to you. Fantastic to have you with us this morning. Let me start with two short stories. One is about a little girl, and you may have heard it, who was intensely drawing. She's a preschooler, and she was so focused on this drawing that her mum was caught by her, her, her attention and said to her, sweetie, what are you drawing? And she said, I'm drawing God. And her mum said, sweetheart, nobody knows what God looks like. And the little girl said, they will when I'm finished. Second story is about a young man who did his apprenticeship, qualified as a plumber, was incredibly excited and proud of his achievement as he should have been. His family took him on a celebratory trip and they went in part to Niagara Falls. Niagara Falls, some of you have been on the Maid of the Mist and uh, as Merle and I have been, it's just this wonderful example of God's creation and the, the whole group as normally happens was just dumbstruck looking at this wonder And then after a moment, the young man spoke up and he said, I think I can fix that. (laughs) What do those two stories have to do with the heart of the Christmas story, that God is love, this, this extravagant love of God? Well, Christmas, many of you will have heard Andy Williams' song as you got, came up to Christmas. It's the most wonderful time of the year. Now, of course, this year, Nick has already prayed for the firefighters and those whose lives have been devastated by the loss of life, the loss of property. Merle and I were in New Zealand when that volcano exploded and uh, so many other lives were taken. And so this year, of course, the most wonderful time of the year. But, you know, even in a Christmas season where there's no tragedy such as that, there's another side to Christmas. Christmas divides us. That's the reality. I remember the first call I took, one of the first Christmases I was on radio, and the voice on the other end of the line said, Graham, I hate Christmas. And this year, the Australian media has picked up on this other side of Christmas, and they've publicised a lot of the very well-researched material that exists on it, and it is well-researched. At Christmas time, helplines like Lifeline have their calls up 40%. Domestic violence calls go up 20%. Heart attacks spike on Christmas Eve. The British Medical Journal reports the most likely time for you to have a heart attack is 10 p.m. Christmas Eve. So you survived that. Happy Christmas. You made it. Hey. (laughs) December, the road trauma peaks. So those families that are devastated by tragedy, it happens more around Christmas. And January is known as separation month. There is another, I'm not first cousin to the Grinch, but there is another side to Christmas. And let's take another step. What about many of us today will enjoy a Christmas turkey? Some of us will feel like the Christmas turkey. (laughs) What about the parts of us that just feel out of step? The parts of us that nobody knows? The doubts that walk through your mind in the air? The doubts of being young? What does my life hold? The doubts of being old? Am I really ready for whatever comes after death? What about the parts of you that you make sure nobody knows about because if you knew about this about me, you'd stop loving me? Where's extravagant love and God is love and that bit of you? Where is he there? If you step into the Christmas story, if you step out of our culture's narrative and back into the story of Bethlehem those years ago, the paradigm shifts dramatically. And in fact, extravagant love, the God who is love, is closest to that part of you. And those who feel like turkeys and they're marginalised and they're ignored and they're overlooked. 
And all the bits of us that we keep hidden because they embarrass us, make us feel guilty or ashamed. All the wounding that we've had in life. Extravagant love is especially for them. Do you remember, how could you forget that clip, what the impact is of that clip we had this morning? And that lovely mother saying, why did this happen to us? My beautiful baby has Down syndrome. It's a tragedy. We can all relate to that grief the shock and I find it deeply significant that she references Mary she talks about Mary and she talks about Mary's humility she says Mary I think of Mary and all she goes through it's not her plan it's God's plan and she goes with it we just heard that beautiful song from our singers about Mary and Jesus she's staring at the face of God and she was but can I give you the scene around that beautiful and much loved and appropriately loved Christmas image what goes all around that that's not in that picture well Mary has already gone through a life experience which has subjected her to potential scandal to shame possibly to death Certainly, at the very least, more than enough to keep the local gossips checking their calendars and raising their eyebrows and whispering behind their hands. We sing about the little town of Bethlehem, and it's deeply significant to us, to this little teenage girl who was possibly as young as 13. She was certainly a very young teenager. To this young girl, At the end of her first pregnancy, she's wrenched out of everything she knows, all her comfort zone, and sent on this long, arduous journey by an oppressive season. And at the end of that journey, she has the stress of her husband trying to find somewhere for her to deliver when she's heavily pregnant, possibly already in the beginning of labor. And she delivers her child in a cattle shed And the manger is a food trough. Can you step into that reality? She's not only oppressed from outside. Very soon, the three of them are going to have to flee into Egypt because of a genocidal king in their own country who wants to kill the child. The forces that swirl around Mary are as much out of her control as Niagara Falls is beyond that young plumber. And what about the little girl's picture? How does God enter our world? Well, not like the Roman Caesars did. Not like the Greeks would have organized it, the powers of that day. Not like close encounters with the mothership coming down. No, he enters the womb of a young teenage girl in one of the most despised regions, Galilee, of an oppressed, impoverished people group. The hints are all the way through the Bible. We talk about Bethlehem being the city of David, and it is King David. Do you know when they were choosing the king that David became, he did not even make the lineup. His brothers got in, but he didn't. He was the little kid, the youngest brother, out with the sheep doing the dog's job. He spent most of his life, early life, fleeing from a a homicidal king. But with the sheep, he learned a reality that anchored his life. The Lord is my 
shepherd. I will lack nothing. Hiding in a cave, having the opportunity to kill his rival and not taking it because the Lord is my shepherd. Amidst all the uncertainty and all the threats as Mary held Jesus, she had that same real reality, anchoring reality on which to live. She knew two things. She knew God with us. This baby I am holding has not come to condemn. He's not come to put down. He's not come to judge. He has come to save and to transform. And God is love. Not God has love, then he could have other things. God is Love. She knew this as what we call an ontological reality, a reality that anchored her being through the 33 years of her son's life, his death and his resurrection. She knew God was with her and God was love. And in the midst of the mess, the pain and the uncertainty, people today still discover those same two things and so can you. The mother in that clip challenges me. I've got the honour of being patron of the Compassionate Friends, parents who've lost children, a group I never want to join. The cost is too high. But when I hear those parents speak at times, like this mother, they have the right to speak because they've walked the path. The authenticity that only comes with living it. And let me remind you of what she said. What we learned was that God was with us. God suffered with us. He gave us the most beautiful child and there was no reason for me to grieve. Now she says, this takes time. I'm sure it took time. But in that time, God suffered with her. It's kind of like a small child. You know when children are beside themselves like a couple have been this morning and lovely parents have taken them outside to calm them down. But when you pick up a little kid that's really upset, they don't want to be picked up. And they'll punch and they'll kick. But if you can hang on to them long enough and they get all of that stuff out and they fall exhausted against your chest, then you can love them. Then you can bring them peace. And if you're angry with God this morning, and you may have real reasons so to be, don't get off his lap. If you just stay there and express the anger to him, he can take it and he'll bring you peace. God is in the midst of our mess. And if we don't find him there, We don't find him anywhere. You don't find God when you've spruced yourself up a bit. You find God in the midst of your mess, or you don't find him at all. A God who loves people so much that he suffers with them. That is the God of the Bible. I thought as I got ready for this morning of three times in my life where I faced serious, serious challenge. No time to go into what they were, but I'll say that in each of those times, way before I knew the outcome, I had a clear sense, I'm with you. I've got this. I had no idea what this was going to be, but I knew he had it. 
See, God is not remote. He's not unconcerned. He's not capricious. He's not moody. He doesn't change. You don't have to wake up and think, which God do we have today? In one of my favorite books, The Ragamuffin Gospel, Brennan Manning writes, he has a single, relentless stance toward us. He loves us. Chesterton called it the furious love of God. In our Advent series, we called it extravagant love. And we looked at its passion. If you could take the best parents who have ever lived and distill all their love and their wisdom and their faithfulness and their patience and all of their qualities down into one person, that person's love would be a faint echo of the passionate love and mercy that is in the heart of the Father for you this morning. In the heart of the Father for you. You say, for me? Oh, yeah. We talk about God loving the world, of course. But as St. Augustine pointed out to us, oh God, you are good and powerful, caring for each one of us as though we were the only one in your love. And yet caring for all as you do for each. God cares for you as if you were the only one who needed his care. Nick reminded us two weeks ago, God's love is adoptive. And no one adopts by accident. I have friends, several friends who've adopted here and overseas. And none of them did it by accident. They made a decision. They made a commitment and they paid a price. And God decided to love you long, long ago. Decided to adopt you long ago. In fact, God's love for you precedes creation. His love precedes history. Long ago. Before he laid down the earth's foundation, he had you in mind. He had settled on you as the focus of his love to be made whole and holy by his love. See, God's love is redemptive. God's love came to me when I was neither whole nor holy. Neither. I was broken. I needed forgiveness. I needed healing for what had been done to me. I needed forgiveness for what had been done by me to others. But God's love came and comes. It comes to you this morning exactly as you are. See, I can project my feelings onto God and think he'll treat me the way I think of me. And I'm happy with those gods that are in other narratives that like the good and punish the bad. Deal with the bad. Brendan Manning points out, this is the only God humanity has ever heard of who loves sinners. A God who loves and chooses to be with sinners. We can't begin to imagine the outrage in Jesus' community when he grew to a man and chose to have meals with the turkeys. The overlooked, the ignored, the marginalized, the despised. That's where he went to dinner. And the people were outraged, the religious ones. They always are. Jericho was heaving with people. Everyone was going up to Jerusalem for the great feast. And Jesus comes into this heaving mass of needy humanity for one person. A despised person. Somebody who was making money by collaborating with the Romans and taxing his fellow Jews. He came to what the scripture calls a notorious sinner. And he says to him, Zacchaeus, come out of the tree. I have to go to your house today. 
Got to have dinner with you. I believe Zacchaeus fell out of the tree. It says he came down. I think he fell down in shock. Why him? Why the turkeys? Why the margin? Well, that's exactly what the outraged religious asked. Why on earth are you going to eat with this bloke? Cozying up with this crook, Eugene Peterson translates it. And Jesus' answer was wonderful. He said, well, who needs a doctor? People who are well or the people who know they're sick? And then he's continued. He said, I'm here inviting outsiders to a life that's changed inside and out. If you feel guilty, if you feel ashamed, if you feel wounded, his love is here for you this morning. Why did he come to Zacchaeus? Well, the New Testament tells us. Zacchaeus welcomed him gladly. Why did he come to Mary, this young teenage girl? Because maybe an illiterate young girl believed God would keep his promise. She quite literally, physically, and in every other way made room for God. And she trusted him. And this morning, Jesus is here in what we've sung, in what we've said. And he's saying to you, not the person sitting next to you, he's saying to you exactly what he said to Zacchaeus. He's actually saying, here I am. Can you hear him this morning? If you do, you'll suddenly realize he's been there for a long, long, long time. A friend of mine who was a musician, American musician, came to meet this wonderful saviour. And he actually said to me once, he said, you know, he'd been, he'd been knocking on, tapping me on the shoulder all my life. And when I finally met him, I said, oh, it was you. <laughs> all these experiences, it was you. Do you hear him this morning? How do I conclude this? We talk about the little town of Bethlehem. And one of the lines in that love carol says, where meek souls will receive him still. The dear Lord enters in. And I pray you're hearing God's love tap at your heart. If you're angry, let him know why, but don't run away. Guilt, shame, he took those on the cross. And I can't conclude this any better than those beautiful little children did. So let me conclude with their words. All people are welcome to know heaven's joy, even you. From angels to donkeys, from shepherds to kings, the little Lord Jesus, God's welcome he brings. The Father longs for you. I don't care what you've been told. You're no mistake. You're no failure. You're no second class. He loves you as if you were the only one who needed his love. He came to our darkness from heaven above. He stooped to the crib and the cross out of love. He shared in our weakness and meekness and mess. And still he embraces us nevertheless. If you're feeling rejected, alone and a stranger, I lived so much of my life in that way. I went to 15 different schools. I never felt I belonged anywhere. If you're feeling alone, rejected, a stranger, 
Remember the one who came down to the manger. He was little, weak and helpless. Tears and smiles like us he knew. He feels for your sadness. He shares in your gladness. Will you pray with me? Love that will not let us go. Lord God, who is that love? May we hear you knocking at the door of our hearts. Grant us the humility to say, and you can say these words with me in your heart now if you wish. Don't have to say them out loud. Oh Lord God, I need healing in so many areas. And Lord, I need forgiveness. But this morning, I see that you not only came to the manger, but the cross and the empty tomb. And I open my heart as Zacchaeus did. Because I know you want to set me as free from the things that cripple me as you set him free from his money that was crippling him. Lord, I come into your freedom and gladness and light and love and healing in your matchless name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this message from Mount Pleasant Baptist Church. If you'd like to talk to someone about what you've heard today, then you can contact the team at Mount Pleasant Baptist Church by calling the office during office hours on 9329-1777. Thanks for joining us. We look forward to your company again soon. God bless.